You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. not as good as my first mop. I miss my first mop. But this is still a good mop. Sometimes you just have to take what life gives you. Because life is like a mop. And sometimes life gets full of dirt and crud and bugs and hairballs and stuff. You, you, you got to clean it out. You, 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 you got to put it in here and rinse it off and start all over again. And, and sometimes... Sometimes life sticks to the floor so bad, you know, a mop, a mop, it's not good enough, it's not good enough. You, you gotta get down there like with a toothbrush, you know, and you gotta, you gotta really scrub, you gotta, you gotta get it off, you gotta really try to get it off, but if that doesn't work, that doesn't work, you can't give up, you gotta, you gotta stand right up, you, you gotta run to a window and say, hey, these floors are dirty as hell, and I'm not gonna take it anymore. And welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. That is a clip from the 1989 film UHF, starring and produced by Albert Yankovic, Weird Al, as he's popularly known. A very offbeat, silly, absurd movie. Just for those of you who have never seen it, that's what it is. It's just very offbeat. It's very weird. It's it's very weird. That's it's weird out. But 1989, I was at most three years old. Odds are high since I'm born in November. I was born. I was born in November. <laughs> uh, odds are high that I was actually only two. But. Um, in any event, I watched that movie last night with the five younger kiddos who have been born, who are born in our house. The two oldest are at a teen conference at Summit View Community Church this weekend. Very excited for them. Very glad that they got out of the house. Thank you to Kale Rogers again and Virginia Rogers. Virginia offered Kale's show chauffeur uh, services show services chauffeur services I can't talk this morning can you tell I've worked 12 days straight maybe I can tell I am tired but my wife great with child as she is very tired she needed to rest take it easy for the evening 
I would have had in Gladii Veritas last night, writing group, but I ended up canceling. Sorry again, Bobby McPherson. I ended up needing to back out to give my wife a little bit of a break. And as a way of doing that, the kids and I watched UHF. None of my kids had ever seen it that I know of. None of them had ever seen it that they knew of. And so we watched it, and they thought it was very funny. They really, really enjoyed it because it's just absurd. It's just silly. But it's not just silly, right? I know Weird Al is not everybody's cup of tea, but it may surprise people for as serious as I am most of the time, or as serious as I seem most of the time, that I really enjoy Weird Al. I just, I, if you look at the music on my phone, for one thing, you'll notice that most of it is not refreshed over the past 10 years. Here and there, maybe I've bought a few tracks on iTunes, but really most of my music comes from between 2012 and 2016, I would say, when I was a lease operator for ConocoPhillips, working a week on, a week off, and by myself, very much of the day, not interacting with people nearly so much in that line of work, mostly just running my route and tending to the equipment, keeping track of production, optimizing my wells, doing maintenance, all that kind of stuff. But driving around remote parts of eastern Montana and western North Dakota, checking my wells every other week, I needed music to help me stay refreshed. And a lot of the music on my playlist... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> was and remains Weird Al music. And there is just something about Weird Al that depending on how serious I've been, I really enjoy being able to break that tension in my own mind with a little absurdity. It's not that I'm a nihilist. It's not that I don't think anything has any meaning. It's not that I take nonsense all the time. But at a certain point, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy or makes Garrett a dull boy. And Garrett has to break that tension with a little bit of absurdity. It's a little bit like a power cycle on my sobriety in terms of how I view things. And that little scene there in particular that I just played for you is so indicative. It, it, the funny thing, the, the great thing, in my opinion... For those of you who just don't get Weird Al, don't get the appeal. The great thing is, for a lot of people like me who have never really felt cool, we've always felt weird and odd. Uh, We were the kids that got picked on a little bit when we would play sports because we're just a little offbeat, a little weird, a little different. Uh, The great thing about Weird Al is that he embraces that, and he makes it cool. It's like, well, wait, why can't being weird be cool? Why, why can't we just embrace that absurdity? Yeah, I know I'm lame. So what? Deal with it, right? Deal with it, and also, like, maybe still enjoy me. <laughs> In any event, my children are a little bit weird, and my wife tells me, you're making our children weird. 
It's thanks to you. They are like their father before them. Not Jedi, but a little odd, a little offbeat. And that's all right. We shouldn't take ourselves too seriously. And, you know, that's a funny thing about, even right now, a lot of the folks who think they're so cool, and that's always been the perspective of the weird people, the people who are offbeat and uncool, is most of the folks who think they're so cool are actually not so cool. The effortlessly cool folks, they're cool. Like the ones who don't think they're so cool, they're just themselves and they're perceived as cool. That's cool. It's cool when you're cool, but you don't act like you're so cool, right? Like when you don't get a big head about it. And I think that's part of why it's cool when uncool people embrace their uncoolness. If you're thoroughly confused, I understand. But it, it's that's part of the the fun of embracing uncoolness is you get to maybe deflate the people who think they're so cool a little bit. The folks who think that they're so awesome and get a big head about it, they need to be taken down a couple of notches, not take themselves so seriously. There's this great myth from ancient Greek times of the philosopher Diogenes. And Plutarch tells this story of Diogenes and Alexander the Great meeting. He says, Thereupon many statesmen and philosophers came to Alexander with their congratulations. And this is after Alexander having conquered the world, or he was well on his way at least. And he expected, it says, according to Plutarch, Alexander expected the Diogenes of Sinope, also, who was tarrying in Corinth, would do likewise. But since that philosopher took not the slightest notice of Alexander and continued to enjoy his leisure in the suburb Crenaeon, Alexander went in person to see him, and he found him lying in the sun. Diogenes raised himself up a little when he saw so many people coming towards him and fixed his eyes upon Alexander. And when that monarch addressed him with greetings and asked if he wanted anything, Yes, said Diogenes, stand a little out of my light. <laughs> it is said that Alexander was so struck by this and admired so much the haughtiness and grandeur of the man who had nothing but scorn for him that he said to his followers who were laughing and jesting about the philosopher as they went away, but truly, if I were not Alexander, I wish I were Diogenes. Indeed. <laughs> Diogenes is not impressed with you, Alexander. And it's hard to not love him for it. No flattery. That is a mark of good character. It may not be perfect character, but it is at least something be, something to be said for you. In any event, moving on. Some other updates on my end of things. The past several episodes have been a bit more on the serious side, and I'm remembering that one of my boys here recently, when I asked him for advice on what he thought I should record for a podcast episode, 
asked me to record something a little bit lighter because my last several episodes had been very serious. And I think that was my oldest son, Josiah. I think he he was being sincere, being genuine, as is his tendency. He is very sincere and genuine and very serious. And so I have to be a little bit absurd with him every now and then just to help him temper that sobriety. Because, as I say, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. I don't want to be dull. I don't want my sons to be dull either. So we have to have a little bit of levity there every now and then, rightly timed. But I think of Josiah and Eli both at this teen conference. As I turn now my attention to Mary Eberstadt's book, How the West Really Lost God, A New Theory of Secularization. As promised, and I must keep my promise, I want to tell you about this book and what a gem it turned out to be. Now, as is my tendency, I typically don't read a lot about an author or research an author too much until after I've read their book. I want to read their book first and see whether they actually have something worthwhile to say, however much fanfare they're getting. If they're very popular or if they used to be very popular, if they've always been very popular, I want to put all that to the side and I don't want to ascribe greater weight, greater value to their writing and their ideas, what it is that they're actually saying because of argumentum ad populum. I don't want to fall victim in my own thinking, my own sentiments to that logical fallacy. First and foremost, let me hear what you're saying, whether you're popular popular or you're not. I still can't talk this morning. Whether you're popular or you're not, I want to take what you're saying on its merits. And so I don't know. I still haven't researched Mary Eberstadt, in part because I've just worked 12 days straight, most of those being 12-hour days. I still haven't researched Mary Eberstadt, but I'm hoping to now that I'm on several days off, five days off, actually. That'll be part of the new rotation, which is great, which is fantastic. But I'm guessing that Mary Eberstadt is a Roman Catholic. She probably is. Just from the emphasis she places on talking about Catholicism and talking about secularization as it relates to Catholicism, I just get that impression. Uh, I could be wrong. That's a side issue to the substance of her remarks because it's the substance of what she's saying, the thrust of the argument that I really want to draw your attention to, I really want to pay my attention to, it all boils down to this. The birth control pill and progressive modern and postmodern attitudes towards having children over the past, let's just say, 50 years, since Roe versus Wade, abortion and the morning after pill and birth control have contributed greatly to the decline of religion in the West, at least the traditional West. Folks moving into America from other parts of the world that are non-Western, notwithstanding, 
folks moving into Europe from other parts of the world, notwithstanding. Very often, those folks, even though they westernize within a few generations, still retain a lot of their native culture. Very often, too, that means retaining attitudes towards having children and religiosity from their native culture. But in the West, we've associated affluence and savvy and what it means to be cool with being unburdened by having children. The famous people, the folks who do the talking, the folks who make the decisions, very often have very few children and they have them later in life and they're focused on getting a piece of paper from a university that says they have the right to talk and be heard or to make the decisions. Uh, Or they're surrounded by money. If they're surrounded by money, they probably pursued their career. Whether they went to college or they didn't, they pursued a career first. They threw themselves into building a business or creating content, a career in acting or making music, for instance. Building a business, building a brand, making lots of money. The folks who have a lot of money and a lot of fame in our culture right now typically don't have a lot of children because they're focused on their career. They're focused on building themselves up and self-actualizing themselves. And correspondingly, the folks our culture celebrates typically are the folks who are just going to repeat back to the culture what the culture wants to hear. Itching ears want to hear that having children later in life and having fewer children is the path to success because that's what a lot of folks have just embraced as a foregone conclusion. Mary Eberstadt says, maybe it's not just that we became less religious and therefore stopped having quite so many children. Maybe we stopped having quite so many children and therefore we became less religious. Maybe our lack of religiosity, our lack of faith, the decline of Christianity, the rise of secularization, the rise of of out-of-wedlock births, the rise of divorce and serial monogamy, maybe those things have contributed to secularization. Are we so sure which one is the chicken and which one is the egg here? As she points out, very often the denominations and churches that grow are the ones where children are born. The denominations which wither on the vine and shrink and die are the ones which are full of old people. And there's nothing wrong with old people, right? We should honor old people. We should honor elderly people, not as though they're always wise or virtuous or good-natured, but we should honor them because the Lord says to, God says to, because of what it says about a reverence for God, not necessarily always because of what it says about elderly people. There's nothing wrong with having a lot of older people in your church at all. 
But there is something wrong when it's all older people and no young families. There's something wrong. There's something unhealthy about that. And I know this intuitively from experience. In my experience, the aging congregation does not have a high tolerance for disruption. They just don't. They don't. They don't like things being stirred up. They don't like when new ideas, fresh ideas, fresh questions are being asked. They don't want to be bothered. Quite frankly, they take themselves too seriously. They could use a little Diogenes in their lives. And that's part of the role that children play. Quite frankly, quite honestly, children don't know any better. They're not born knowing any better. That's part of why they need parents and they need older people investing in them. But that's also part of why older people and parents need their children asking the questions that children very often ask. Because life will grind you down otherwise. Life will make you very cynical. And children have a great, splendid, wonderful role to play in refreshing our perspective. Now, I'm going to say this, and you're not going to know what to make of it, and you're going to say, wait a second, what? But just hear me out. Children are masters of creative destruction. What it, Again, I, I told you, you, you wouldn't know what I'm talking about, what I mean by that. Let me unpack it. Adam Smith, in his seminal work, The Wealth of Nations, Scottish economist, philosopher, politician, born 1723 in Kirkcaldy, Fife, Scotland, Fife, where my wife's people, the Duffs, were from originally, where they held sway, died in Edinburgh, Scotland, 1790. He writes in Wealth of Nations that the invisible hand of the free market, the invisible hand of a nation of merchants making decisions based on what is perceived by them, that's an important qualifier, perceived by them to be in their individual self-interest, in the interest of their business, making decisions which are profitable for them personally as they engage in international trade, will consequently make that nation more prosperous. So also, children in a church and in a family will ask questions which interest them. And they may not, in fact, they very often are not, the questions you might expect. Very often they're very simple questions. Very often they're very profound questions that catch you off guard, that help to peel back the veneer of respectability that sometimes we lay on a little too thick to our assumptions, our unquestioned, unexamined assumptions. I think this is part of why Jesus says to suffer the little children to come to him. His disciples are trying to keep all these children that want to see Jesus away in the Gospels because Jesus is a very important man. He he doesn't have time for your silliness and distraction and all that. Like He's very important. He's always going off by himself to be alone and to pray, to get a little 
R and R. We don't want to drive him off into the hills again. <laughs> Jesus says, No, no, no. Suffer the little children to come to me. He says, Unless you become like a little child, you shall in no ways enter the kingdom of heaven. And what he's not talking about is being childish, not eating your boogers and peeing your pants, coloring on the walls, not that kind of childishness, not having a hard time sharing your toys, but being childlike, being innocent, being unassuming, unpretentious, embracing that. Children are somewhat of a canary in the coal mine for hypocrisy. (laughs) They are very quick to catch discrepancies between what you've said and what you really are thinking and what you really mean and what you really believe. Well, hey, wait a second. I thought you said this, right? Children are a master of that. My children, I'm an expert on, my children are masters of asking, well, hey, wait a second, but I thought you said, right? In fact, my son Solomon just did this. He was asking me how long their turns are on the Oculus Quest 2, which was our family Christmas gift for 2021. I have said, 45 minutes. I got the extended battery pack so the thing can last for four hours at a time. And my four older boys are the primary ones playing. I'll be honest with you. I've not played nearly nearly enough. I need to play more on my five days off as part of my R&R and to get myself up and moving and not sitting at the computer all the time. I'm part of this family too. It was a family gift and I'm part of this family, damn it. <laughs> But my children will ask me questions like Solomon just asked. With Josiah and Eli out of the house, do we get longer turns? No. No, you don't. You still get 45-minute turns. Well, yeah, but Josiah the other day, he played longer than 45 minutes. Uh, that for Okay, so for one thing, I didn't tell him he could play longer than 45 minutes. For another thing... Josiah not abiding by the limitation that I put on this does not make it okay for everybody to bypass that, right? When an older congregation or older family is not having children around, it indicates that they're not comfortable with being asked those pesky questions. I think more than the resource cost, I think the cost to our pride, our foolish pride, is a bridge too far for some people. And it's a kind of natural selection. I don't subscribe to Darwin's theory on biology and the origins of life, the origin of the species. I think he was very badly wrong. And a whole lot of people have been pulled into his philosophy. It's a philosophy and a religion that Darwin preached. Not first and foremost, good science. But it's a kind of natural selection. 
when an older population stops having children, stops encouraging young people to have children. You know, the mark of a healthy church is when older people see the younger people who are of a marriageable age and they start trying to play matchmaker. Hey, this young man is a little shy. How about you talk with that girl over there? She's nice. I could introduce you. That's the gist of it. But of course, older people are smarter than that. So they don't do things in that way. Older people play matchmaker by just inviting these younger people who are unmarried to the same event. Oh, you know who was just talking about that the other day? Susan. I'm just going to pull a random name out. You know who was just talking about that the other day? John. And next thing you know, John and Susan are talking with one another with the help of this older person who has maneuvered them both together into this conversation. And then maybe this older person remembers that they had somewhere else that they needed to be and they need to go check on something. And so they leave these two young single people to chat for just a minute. And that sparks some interest. And it's within the context of community so that there's some safety there and there's support there and there's encouragement there. And then maybe they get married with some encouragement too. Hey, I noticed you seem to take a fancy to, you seem to take a liking to so-and-so. Maybe they get married. And maybe the older people in their lives, when they're married, say, well, when do you suppose you'll have some children, right? Healthy, growing churches and families encourage their young people to get married, encourage their young people who are married to have children, and to raise families and to train up their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Consequently, too, statistics show, according to Mary Aberstadt, and this makes really good sense, the more children you are, the more likely you are to have your family in church. Part of the reason for this, Mary Eberstadt theorizes, is that as parents have more children, even if they weren't in church before, they might have drifted away from church. They may never have gone to church to begin with, but as they have more children, they start realizing this is a difficult thing and a sacred duty that I have to raise these children, to train these children, to give them good values, good morals, wisdom, good example. I feel inadequate to this task. I need community. I need help. I need help disciplining my children. I need help teaching them. I need help leading them. I need help keeping them straight. I need help loving them. I need help being patient with them. I need help getting them to a teen conference, maybe, for instance. And so what you'll find is, statistically, Mary Eberstadt has the stats. You can check them out in her book, and you should read her book. But statistically, as parents have more children, as married couples have more children, they will go to church more in greater numbers. And in my wife's and my experience, that's what we did. We met in church in high school. 
And then as we got to that age where, hey, we've been dating, we've been interested, we were friends, and then all of a sudden we develop an interest in one another because we're talking with one another. And the next thing you know, we've developed a romantic interest in one another. And so now, you know, hey, like we want to honor the Lord and we're in church and we're reading the word. It says here it's better for a man to marry than it is to burn with lust. I don't want to burn with lust. and I, I don't want to be inappropriate towards you and dishonor you, Lauren. I think we need to talk seriously about whether God's plan for our lives is marriage. And here was the hypocrisy test in my wife's and my relationship. How did this church of older people react when we said, we're planning to get married. We're 18, 19 years old. And we tell people we're engaged. Engaged to be married. I've been dating for a couple of years. Shouldn't come as a shock to anybody. All of a sudden you find out what some people really believe. Yes, yes, it says that about better to marry than to burn with lust, but you really need to finish your college education first. Well, I'm sorry, I don't see in here that order of operations. It doesn't say it's better to get your college degree and then marry than it is to burn with lust. It just says it's better to marry than to burn with lust. And all of a sudden, you find out what people really hold near and dear, where their priorities really are, when you try to have that conversation and they can't be bothered. You want to treat me like a kid? I'm 19 years old, wanting to marry this girl, make her an honest woman. I want her to make me an honest man. And these older people in the church can't be bothered with the pesky questions that Garrett likes to ask because he likes to talk about everything. And they're genuine, innocent, honest, sincere questions. And the older folks can't be bothered. Dear sweet Lauren, we've got to protect you. We want to see you spread your wings and fly. And we're going to encourage you to date around in college a little bit. Shop around. We're not even going to talk with Garrett and try and talk him out of this. Because he knows the right questions to ask that we don't have answers for. Because some of us really haven't just sat down and thought about this first and foremost from the vantage point of what does God's word say? We don't have an answer. We don't want to come up with an answer. We don't want to be subjected to those questions because we take ourselves too seriously. And we don't take God's word seriously enough. I was very wounded by that. And also, I developed a very deep and abiding distrust for church. So Lauren and I, we get married and I start seeing other things that are discrepancies because I'm wanting to get engaged and get involved. Hey, I'm, I'm an adult. I'm a man. Now at 20 years old, my wife is my wife. I'm no longer a kid. I'm married now. I'm the head of my household, my family. Yeah, I know I'm young, but I'm, t- I'm trying to take things seriously. I'm trying to take God's word seriously. I have some questions for how we're doing things in the church here. Oh, buddy. Who? Long story short, we ended up leaving. And we're out. We're out. And we're not just out of that church for a span of years. We're out of all church. Because that hurt. That left a mark. That left a wound in me. 
and my wife to be so abused, to be called a pain in the ass, and I quote, a pain in the ass by the divorced pastor who I had asked one too many questions of, genuine, sincere questions, not trying to be a pain, but as he saw it, a pain. But that's indicative, right? That's indicative of an unhealthy religion, an unhealthy view of God and his word and ourselves. And so my wife and I, we have children. And if you thought we were getting flack for getting married, when people were encouraging us to go finish your college degree, have fun, you should have heard some of the remarks when we started having children right away. And so we're having children. And far from celebrating with us, we get the cold shoulder from these older people shaking their heads. Ah, Garrett and Lauren, what are they doing? A cold silence, cold disapproving silence. Not support and encouragement. But then you have a certain number of children, and those children start getting to the age where you really need to be teaching them about God and his word and about life. They're old enough to be able to reason with you and ask questions of their own. And I'm reading God's word, and I'm seeing, don't neglect the assembling of yourselves together as some do. I'm also seeing where the Apostle Paul writes in Corinthians, that the various spiritual gifts are given to believers, to Christians, by the Holy Spirit for the edification of the church, of the body, for the building up of the body. He doesn't give all the gifts, doesn't doesn't give all the gifts to any one person, but he gives different gifts to each member of the body so that no one is self-reliant. That inequality, that inequity is baked into the equation. It is a God-given, God-ordained, blessed thing that is supposed to encourage us to work together like a team. And so we start going back to church. I think it was after maybe even our third, and we had our first three, four sons in such rapid succession. It wasn't so many years into marriage, but I think it was maybe after... Eli was born or after Solomon was born, maybe after Eli, my wife could remind me. I'm sure she will when she listens to this episode later. Lauren, please remind me when we started going back to church. The point is that we did start going back to church. We started going back to church, not the same church we had gone to. We started going to a different church where they actually have children here. That's a good sign. And they have couples our age. Well, that's a good sign. That tells me not just that there's people my age, but it tells me something about the attitude of this body of believers towards marriage and parenting, that they embrace it more than that other church, and they're going to embrace us more than that other church did. And this is a place for us to safely be, or a safer place for us to be in any event. And then you're there for a while and you ask other questions because as you're growing older and you're raising your children, you have more and more complicated questions to ask about theology, about how we read God's word and what it says and what it means. And you're clarifying your doctrine and your practice as you're trying to follow the Lord and you're trying to raise your family. 
Certainly in the case of a husband and father, you're trying to shepherd your family. Maybe you find out this isn't either maybe the place we should land long, long term. In our case, we moved to Montana, now to Colorado. But I think Mary Eberstadt is right. I think she's right to say that children are not just a consequence of our having religious faith, not just a consequence of our theology. I've very often assumed in the other direction. And maybe that's a big part of why I find Mary Eberstadt's book, How the West Really Lost God, fascinating is because it's taking all of those same dots and it's connecting them and more besides, but it's connecting them in a different way than I had connected them. And I think that's an important thing to consider. Correlation does not imply causation. We shouldn't confuse correlation and causation. Geese flying south and also it becoming winter could mean that the geese are flying south because it's getting to be winter. The temperature's changing, and so that's their signal, that's their cue. But if we assumed in the other direction, well, hey, it's getting colder because all of the geese are flying south, as if the geese flying south is actually the cause of the colder temperatures and the winter weather, well, then that would be the wrong way to connect those dots. Those dots are related to each other, but not in the one way and more closely, yes, to the other way. If my wife and I had not had children, if we had taken the, we'll, we'll just say gift bag, and I'm not going to say who gave us the gift bag, but I will say, my wife knows, my wife knows, it was, the gift bag was given to her, but we were given a gift bag. This is just a, a little... Evidence, if you will, for what I mean when I say that the church we met in, that we stopped attending as a family early on in our marriage, did not have a great attitude with regards to marriage and children. But my wife was given a gift bag on our wedding night, filled with a number of things which are designed to prevent pregnancy. I'll just I'll just say that. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. And we didn't use it. We didn't use the gift bag. <laughs> I'll, I'll say that. Uh, uh, eight, eight months roughly after my wife and I were married, our firstborn son was born. We wasted no time. And that was in large part my, uh, oh, what's the word? <laughs> my refusal, my stubborn, indignant refusal to be a party to the uh, insult as I saw it. It's like, are you serious? Like, wow, okay, well, we're going to have 
four children in five years just because of that. Not really. Not actually. That wasn't our primary reason, but my point being, if we had not had children, if we had gone a different direction and decided to not have children for four or five years, then that whole process of getting back to church, I I don't think that we would have stayed in church. I think we would have left the church, that church, for those reasons. But the whole process of returning to church would have been delayed by that much time, probably, because us having children and then realizing, wow, like this is a challenge. This is a, a difficult thing. And I need other people helping to provide a good example to my children, to give me encouragement, to give my wife encouragement, to train up these children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. That whole thought process would have been a can kicked down the road by that much time. And so what we find, just bringing this all back to the present, my wife and I find ourselves in a church with a lot of children. I think there are more children at Summit View Community Church in Evans, Colorado than there are adults. And that number is going to change, though. That number is going to change as those children grow up. And if we're doing a fine job of training up these children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, what are we going to find? Mary Eberstadt talks about this. What we're going to find is, before we know it, we're going to blink and we're going to have a whole lot of 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds. And we're going to find ourselves 40 and 50 and 60 years old, Lord willing, God willing, and the creek don't rise. We're going to find ourselves 40, 50, 60 years old with a whole lot of 20 and 30-year-olds who grew up together, who were friends, probably a good number of them marrying some kids that they grew up with in church, just saying. And I'm, and I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm good with that. I think that's a great thing. I met my wife in church. I think it's a great thing. But having children of their own, if if our attitude was such that we embrace what God says about marriage, we embrace what God says about having children and training up your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We raise our sons and our daughters with good work ethics, with a sober reverence for God and a love for his word and a love for other people as we love ourselves. We're going to find that this church explodes in growth. And even so, there might be a church across town. I'm sure there are churches in the area that are just like that church that my wife and I met in, where when young people say, we've prayed about it, we've talked about it with each other, we're adults now, and we believe that God intends for us to be together as man and wife, the reaction from the older people is, don't do what God's word says, do what the world does. Do what the world does for a few years at least, have a good time, No need to settle down and throw away your life just yet. Do what the world does for a little while. Sow your wild oats. And then, you know, once you've got the credentials and the world respects you, thinks highly of you, embraces you as one of its own, then you can come back, right? When those young people come back, 
They come back just like the world. And if the world says, let's not have children, well, then they don't have children. And maybe they don't get married. They don't get married. They don't have children. And what do you find except that that church, those churches, they wither on the vine. They lose that war of attrition. Meanwhile, the church that encourages its young people to take God's word seriously in every area of life celebrates, celebrates when those young people say, we'd like to get married and we need some advice. You know, it isn't a, it isn't a question of whether young people in that frame of mind need advice. They absolutely do. We did. We absolutely did. We needed advice, and we knew that we needed advice. And we went seeking counsel and encouragement. And we found a very discouraging lack of counsel in some sectors. So we had to broaden our circle. We ended up seeking out an older couple. And I've talked about this before, and I actually I mentioned it in my book, and this is why we homeschool, we found an older couple, older than us, that, I mean, they weren't old. Every year we're getting closer to the age that they were when we sought them out, but maybe in their mid-40s. We're not quite there. We're, we're in our mid-30s yet, but we sought them out, and we said, hey, like, can we go out to lunch with you too? Sure, sure. So we got to lunch with them, and we said, hey, like, we think we should get married and we were wondering if you had any advice because we look at your family we look at your marriage and you two really seem to love one another with a deep genuine love and you have all these children and they had two biological children and I think I can't remember if they had seven eight or nine adopted children from Haiti clearly not biological children Definitely Haitian, uh, but sweet, beautiful, adopted children. Their biological children were Lawrence and my age. And we said, hey, you've got this big family, and you guys seem to take it so well. You seem to manage that so well and with such grace and poise and cheer. Like, you seem happy. Like, you've got something figured out that a lot of the Adults in our sphere clearly don't. You're a lot happier in your marriage and in your parenting and in your family situation, your home situation, than a lot of the adults we know who have a couple of kids. So maybe they don't have the best grasp. (laughs) Maybe we don't want to go asking them. The, The folks who are just miserable... I hate their lives, regret getting married and having kids, and they only have two or three. Like, maybe I'm not going to go to them for advice on how to get off on the right foot here. Maybe I'll go to the family where there's a genuine affection, genuine warmth. They treat each other with love, respect, kindness, patience. They help one another. They work together. They joke around. They have a good time. They help other people. They don't just think about themselves all the time. Maybe that's a key. Maybe that's a secret. Maybe there's something there. Can you guys give us some advice? We need some advice. We're a young couple. We don't know what we're doing. We don't have a lot of good examples to follow. We're not getting a lot of encouragement other places. A good, healthy, strong church is going to say, 
to that young couple, we are so happy for you. Here's what God's word says about marriage. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Here's what God's word says about the responsibility a husband has towards his wife, the responsibility a wife has towards her husband. You should really study those passages and meditate on them and embrace those and pray that God would equip you to be able to fulfill those in living color. It's not always easy. It's not always glamorous. It's not always fun. You're not always going to get along. Things are not always going to go the way that you expect they're going to or that they should. You're going to disappoint each other. You're going to let each other down. You're going to be angry with each other. You're going to have to work through that. You're going to have to have a godly mindset in order to work through that. You're going to have to have a self-sacrificing love for one another in order to put your own pride on the back burner and put your husband or your wife ahead of yourself and serve them. Admit when you're wrong. Forgive when the other wrongs you. A good, healthy, strong church responds that way. Encouraging. Oh, hey, you're a young couple. Garrett, the economy has taken a real hit here. You're looking for work, having a hard time finding some work. I just really want to encourage you. Don't give up. I know it's hard. I actually know some people who might be hiring right now. Let me talk with them. I'll give you a phone number for a friend of mine who's looking for help right now. Give him a call. Tell him I sent you. How's work going? Let me encourage you. Let me encourage you to be able to do this thing well. Not discourage you from trying to begin with. Because by God's grace, that is what leads to the flourishing of the family and of the local church and of communities, cities, states, nations. Check out Mary Eberstadt's book, How the West Really Lost God, A New Theory of Secularization. You won't be sorry you did. It is illuminating and I would dare say, encouraging, actually. If we can figure out how to define the problem, we are most of the way towards coming up with a good solution and being confident in that and executing well on it. But it's a Saturday morning. Good morning, Saturday morning. It's my first day off, and I really want to get up and step away from this computer for a bit. I've got a new office chair coming this morning. I will mention that. First time I've had a new office chair for my home office in over three years, three years and a quarter. Late 2018 was the last time I got myself a new chair. And this one that I'm sitting in right now, it's getting a little worn in the padding. Not terrible, but a little bit. And 12 hours a day, seven days on, probably a fair number of hours on my days off, just writing, podcasting, hopefully getting back into the reaction videos thing on YouTube. I need to have a chair that is not a distraction. This one squeaks. That's not so good when you're trying to record audio. Uh, also, it wobbles a little bit. I think it could be tightened up, but also it it's just, it's not ideal. And a good chair when you're doing a lot of sit-down work a lot of computer work. A good chair is like a good pair of shoes. A good chair 
shouldn't be something you even think about. Just like a good pair of shoes when you're doing a lot of on-your-feet work, you don't even think about the shoes. You just, you're wearing them and you're thinking about the task at hand versus a bad pair of shoes where it's like however much you want to focus on your work, you just, oh, man, these shoes are so uncomfortable. I really want to take off these shoes. A good chair, you'll say nothing about. You'll remember it when you walk up to it to sit down in it and you say, hey, that, yeah, yeah, it looks really good. It looks really sharp, hopefully. And then you sit down in it and you forget about it. That's a good chair. So I got a new chair coming this morning. I'm going to have to put that together. Probably going to be taking one of my boys to go get some shoes, some running shoes, now that we've got a membership at the Greeley Rec Center again, thanks to My Tech High. If you're a homeschooler in the state of Colorado, check out My Tech High. It is a fabulous program. It's been fabulous for us this year. Really, really has expanded our horizons in terms of what we can do. There's grant monies available through My Tech High to sponsor and support science, technology, engineering, and math learning K through 12. So within that, we've got a family membership to the Greeley Rec Center. Hoping to use that here very shortly. Take the kids on my days off, have them run around, blow off some steam, get out of the house. Very healthy for all of us to do that. Again, all work, no play. Makes Jack a dull boy. But that's all for this episode. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.